0: Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 17 years of profiling excellence in government IT mission programs. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with data center and cloud optimization strategies in the federal government. With me on today's show are Beth Capello, Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Department of Homeland Security, to various peoples, Chief Information Officer, US Army Corps of Engineers. Thomas Santusi, Director, Data Center and Cloud Optimation, Optimization Initiative, PMO at GSA. Rob Carey, President, Cloudera Government Solutions. Chris Roberts, Federal Technology Director, Quest Software Public Sector. And Nicholas Spees, Chief Federal Technologist at Snowflake. Well, Vivek Kundra issued a 25-point plan that was, uh, what, 12 years ago. Uh, in there, cited cloud first, 10 years later, we had cloud smart, now we're on a tear. I'm gonna start with you, Beth, and talk about being on a tear. It doesn't go unnoticed that every single agency you go to, you go in there and you clobber data center optimization and move everything to the cloud. So give us a state of the state of where you're at there with, uh, with the data center initiative and the, uh, the cloud optimization at Department of Homeland Security.
2: Wow. Thanks for that introduction, Luke. Um, it, it's interesting. When I was getting prepared for this, I was reflecting on um, you know, the work that we did at Immigration and Customs Enforcement uh, three or four years ago prior to my coming up to the department, um, which really was a, was a great um, training ground, if you will, for, uh, for this most recent effort that we've completed, which is closing out Data Center 2. And um, I think for anybody who's closed a data center, particularly in, in the federal government, it's not a trivial task. And um, I'm pretty proud of the team because if you consider that they completed this effort, um, I, I put a line in the sand two years ago and I said, uh, two, two and a half years ago, I said to the components when I first got up to the department that we were gonna complete this effort, that we were not gonna extend the contract, we were gonna get it done. Um, of course, I didn't have a crystal ball uh, I didn't know we were about to run headlong into um, a couple of very serious events, COVID, solar winds, um, you know, a couple of natural disasters, and, and some world events along the way. So to say that I'm proud of this team for being able to complete the transition is, is an absolute understatement. Um, but, but to just sort of sum up, you know, we, we closed out a data center, and I can get into the details of what that looks like when we talk about you know, best practices. Um, some of the work, though, and the preparation for that started probably five years ago. Um, well, twelve years ago, really, if we talk about the VEX memo, um, which is frightening to think that it was twelve years ago. But um, <laughs> uh, but some of the work initially started with optimizing our data center one, um, and then quickly transitioned for me into closing out data center two. Uh, but again, pretty proud of the team. They did it through an administration change. Uh, a couple of CIO changes, uh, some, some big major uh, world events, COVID. I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could throw anything at this team and we'd be successful.
1: Absolutely. Um, and uh, uh, data center one, two, just just uh, so the listening audience understand what that means and what that is.
2: Uh, sorry, I should have set some context. I, I just assume everybody knows DHS, knows what our big <laughs> data centers are, hey, you know, uh, with DHS. Uh, we have a, we, we, we narrowed it down after DHS was created. Um, th- there's literally, there's more than data center one and data center two, but those, those were our two primary uh, on-premise data centers and uh, data center one down in Stennis, Mississippi, uh, been operating down there for, 17, 18 years now, um, and likely will remain in that in that on-premise data center for the foreseeable future. Although we have optimized, uh, we've certainly we've closed some of the zones in that data center and and moved workloads to the cloud. Much of that work was work that I did while I was at Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and we'll continue that effort. I mean, we'll continue to optimize Data Center One. Data Center 2 was a, was a second data center uh, here on the East Coast, and um, that had been operating uh, for less less time than, than Data Center 1. Um, but again, uh, there was an imperative from, a, from a, lot, a lot of perspectives, cost, efficiency, effectiveness, capacity, performance. I and mean, we could get down the, the litany of reasons why, uh, why you go to the cloud. Um, but particularly, Data Center 2, Uh, it just made sense for us to try to winnow it down in DHS to uh, the least number of brick and mortar uh, data centers. Uh, You know, we get scored on that. So it was kind of important from from a scoring mechanism, um, but again, most importantly, from an uh, efficiency, effectiveness, and resilience for our enterprise environment.
1: Sure. And, uh, you know, what gets measured gets done, no doubt about that. And obviously, the introduction of all this cloud capability certainly plays into those decision factors no doubt the various talk to us about u.s army corps of engineers give us a top line state of the state i know you've been doing a lot of activity over there
3: yeah no so so, so good morning so thanks for the opportunity just to share a little bit about what we're doing at the army corps of engineers to uh, to support the nation so just a little context from the corps of engineers uh, we began our data center journey, of course, when the OMB mandate came out. And of course, we're an Army organization as well. So, so we've been working aggressively to, to identify what is the best method to begin not just data center closures, but our cloud modernization optimization journey. Uh, so we've been core, just think about it, is when COVID 19, when the remote work uh, directive came out, everyone started working remote. And uh, maybe about three days within that remote order, within the time frame that remote order came out, we have received a fiber cut and our two primary data centers are within Vicksburg, Mississippi, and Portland, Oregon. And in the Southern region, there's a lot of construction that goes on. Also, when you think about flooding, there's saturation, there's, there's high flood zones, all of those things never benefit well from a data center perspective. And we were down without comms for about 12 hours, which was pretty significant from the Corps of Engineers perspective. Um, so over the course of the past 18 months, roughly, uh, we have begun to start our modernization migration journey I um, mean, we have begun to standardize on two central locations for our data centers now, which is uh, which is Ashburn, Virginia, as well as San Jose, California, and we're looking at a triple active architecture concept, which the, the third node will be in in Dallas, Texas. and um, that gives us a central location It also gives us primary connections as well throughout wherever you're at, Conus or Oconus, and allows for optimization and connectivity. Um, so we are in a hybrid concept, private private and public cloud uh, access. So we've been working closely with a lot of our public partners, whether that's Microsoft, Oracle, AWS, and, and so many others, as well as we've been building around the Equinix facility concept to ensure that the uh, that the private concept is actually built out as well. So, so we've started aggressively. Um, we also have these unique things called tech closets. Um, that also brings another layer of complexity to our data center modernization and optimization journey. Um, over the course of the past 18 months, we've closed 30 specific tech closets. Um, as well as data centers within the Corps of Engineers. And we still have about 18 more to go. Um, The tech closets has shown to be a little bit more challenging due to the fact that they support more of your local technology, um, not necessarily with your standard data center, but those tech closets have small servers and those things that support the mission. So we're struggling to identify, do we keep those? Do we close them or how do we optimize? So that's the next level of challenges that we're beginning to address in conjunction with our data center modernization journey. So, So interested to have a good conversation and thanks for the opportunity.
1: Taveras, I'm going to have to give you the Luke McCormack Trophy for coming up with a a tagline of the tech closet, i.e., the server underneath your desk, the server in the closet, et cetera, et cetera. And we know there's just hundreds and thousands of those out there. So good on you for for getting into those and 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 pulling those into your inventory, et cetera, and cleaning them up. Tom, you are sitting in the catbird seat there. You're seeing this across all of the various agencies. Give us a perspective, the state of the state, of what are you seeing out there now that we've sort of com- come out of cloud optim, or excuse me, out of data center, you know sort of data center first, data center smart, uh, 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 cloud optimization, et cetera, really into sort of a, a higher order level of activity going on here. Yeah, uh, Luke, I can't thank you enough for having these two agencies represent uh, cloud
4: optimization. And data center optimization. The fact that Devaris even recognizes the F tech closets is a real big push, uh, and they're making strategic decisions of what to do with those. Uh, uh, Beth, I've hired some of your best talent from DC two that you put out of business, thank goodness, and uh, they were terrific employees and uh, and contractor support. Um, and I applaud DHS on what they've been able to accomplish. Um, with their cloud migrations and closing that data center. So I'm the director of data center and cloud optimization initiative, PMO, uh, which is the office of government wide policy within GSA. And one of our main responsibilities is serving as OMB's managing partner for data center optimization initiative, as well as some other initiatives. Um, Now we recently had major success when 24 of the CFO Act agencies received an A in DCOI in the latest VITAR scorecard. This is a huge accomplishment. So the 10 years in, in coming uh, that we've been able to achieve. Uh, and now it's time to really take a hard look at what we've actually been able to accomplish. Uh, We also want to celebrate the energy, environment, and infrastructure benefits that result from transitioning from government-owned data centers to commercially-owned data centers, cloud computing, and software as a service. We think there's, there's environmental benefits moving to any one of these environments that have sustainable plans.
1: Yeah, you know, um, uh, you don't really think a lot of times about all the energy savings associated to something like this and great repurpose of of the, uh, of the, uh, the talent and the technology. So happy to hear that, Rob. Um, you know, in order to do this, you have to have good partners. You got to have good technology to make these things happen. Cloudera is right and smack in the middle of that. What are you seeing out there? What's the state of the state from where you sit?
5: Well, uh, Luke, good morning. It, it's interesting. I'm, I'm listening to Beth, listening to Various, You know, and and the movement from cloud first, because I was a CIO then, as you were, and to to now cloud smart. And so we went from pushback to embracing this entire concept. Right. We went from having no chief data officers to a whole slew of them in the government. Right. So we actually have a a momentum in the federal space that allows the the government agencies to sort of realize. Okay, we're not cloud isn't the end state, right? It is mission enhancements the end state. So we actually get the fact that cloud can deliver on those promises that it was originally intended to, but we didn't have security right. Now we have FedRAMP. So we're we're overcoming each hurdle that is presented by the technology opportunity and now we're starting to thrive on cloud. So to me, I'm watching uh, agencies sort of some still dipping their toe in the water. Remember the programs, and I know Beth and Devarious know this, the programs are that there's haves and have-nots. The haves have already moved into cloud. The have-nots are trying to get there, right? And they will um, if it's if it's necessary for them, because there's some that we're probably never going to move into cloud computing, but we may move to them to an on-prem cloud basis, lots of things like that. So there's, a, there's now an array of cloud technologies that the agencies can take advantage of that, again, I'll say three, four, five years ago did not exist, did not exist. The fact that we understand that COVID, as everybody's uh, talked about, has been this tremendous incentive to enable the workforce to work from anywhere. We talked about that, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago back in Navy uh, about, we don't care where the workforce is, it's a nomadic workforce, let them log in you know, with identity credentials, blah, blah, blah. Well, now that's a requirement. It's not like, hey, I wanna do it, it's a requirement. What is key to that is access to data, right? And, and that the cloud gives us that ubiquitous access to data given the right set of identity credentials and the right sets of security. So what I'm seeing is this movement into a space where we understand the technology that give us the mission outcomes. We just need to now continue that journey that we're on. This is you know that journey that we're 12 years into it, but the government's a big place. So at the end of the day, this is delivering mission outcomes for all the agencies that embarked on it.
1: No doubt that uh, you think about things like continuity of service, right? Continuity of government. Uh, This is where I think this sort of remote uh, type of environment really has uh, paid off in a lot of cases. Uh, Chris, how about over at Quest Software? Give us 15 seconds on what Quest Software is and then how do you snap into and enable all this capability to happen? Sure, good morning, everybody. Thanks, Luke, for having us once again.
6: Quest, we focus really on the mission as it is defined by our federal partners. Um, So you realize that we're both a commercial as well as a federal entity, and sort of I'm the tail wagging the dog, so to speak. So shout out to GSA and NIST and OMB. Makes my job a little easier when I have to explain why we have to invest and do certain things. That being said, we specialize in making the mission simpler, for instance. So whether you're trying to manage not just cloud smart and dealing with a hybrid environment of where data is gonna reside, you're extending perimeter from a security standpoint, handling zero trust from that perspective, but it is also dealing with the other issues that go along with that. So when that memo came out 12 years ago, sure, you had Amazon leading the pack, you had Microsoft coming up fast and Google, but quite frankly, that was just the infrastructure. There were so many other things, think about the platform services we need, applications to be integrated, for instance, all the tools that we came became used to and comfortable with all of a sudden we're challenged with working in a hybrid environment. So helping end users, helping our customers, um, even simple things like as, as various pointed out, the tech closet, you know, which I call shadow IT, we all did at the time, but also now points to a more realistic view of that is called you know, edge computing as we approach 5G. And that is some things will have to be in the cloud, but where exactly is that cloud? So we talk about the cloud could be anywhere. Well, edge computing speaks to the fact that I can put devices or data centers or mini data centers, quite frankly, where I need to to support the mission. So think of a forward command in the army. Think of um, the offshore capabilities of a carrier, for instance. So there's so many different uses and applications. And when the memo came out, we, we just were beginning to scratch the surface of that. So at Quest, we figured out that we just need to help our government partners, quite frankly, and clients, figure out exactly one. How do I manage? How do I monitor? How do I maintain? Consolidate? How do I... M- how do I manage this entire infrastructure from end to end? And so that's where our portfolio has developed over the years, and that is focusing on those both individual work- workloads as well as the broader mission. For instance, so something as large and broad as zero trust, all the way down to, for instance, you know, figuring out what metadata is inside of a cloud data database, for instance, and you know, how do we actually secure that, and how do we sanitize PI information? So. That's a broad mission of what we do, but shout out to all our government customers who actually help us do that
1: very well. Thank you. Yeah, very good top line and, and, and obviously that hybrid of stitching, it's not here or there, it's, it's both, right? And being able to sort of pull all that together. Nicholas, how about at Snowflake? You obviously are uh, right smack in the middle of this journey and it, it is all about the data at the end of the day and, and being able to properly process it, analyze it, and use it to make great decisions.
7: Yeah, uh, thanks, Luke, and, and thanks again for having me. Hello, everyone. Um, I feel like I live in a tech closet. Um, you know, Looking at the cloud and how we embrace it over the last couple of years, going back to some of the stuff that, that Rob was talking about, about security, talking a little bit about what Chris was talking about on the technology side and, and sort of how Beth was going through her journey at a couple of different agencies, this stuff didn't happen overnight. Ten years ago, I was a cloud skeptic, too. I, I didn't think we would ever get to a point where it made sense to use somebody else's computer, right? That was the joke. But really, the technology and the security and the governance had to catch up to what we wanted the cloud to be. And it's taken this long. But I think a lot of the the technologies that enable folks like the Department of Homeland Security and the Army Corps of Engineers and to enable the initiatives that GSA puts out there, it really comes down to we've put policy in place. We've put tools in place. We've built really great, robust platforms and technologies that not just make going to the cloud, we check the box. You actually gain mission function. It's easier to do what your charter says you should do. Data collaboration is something that we talk a lot about at Snowflake. That was really difficult in legacy on-prem data centers, but it's exponentially easier with the technology that exists in the cloud, and that enhances everyone's execution. So things like data collaboration and, and digital loss prevention and security and governance in general are in a great place because of the cloud technologies. And those cloud technologies, offerings like software as a service, big commercial sort of white glove uh, uh, technologies make it easier and beneficial to go to the cloud. So now it makes sense. And we see every agency has great initiatives and great progress on getting there.
1: And I love the fact that when we say go to the cloud, the cloud can be sort of anywhere, right? It can be sort of these again, these hybrid sort of mashed up type environments, which is, uh, which is interesting and and, and, um, really enables a lot of these different types of technologies and capabilities. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the federal executive forum on Federal News Network.
0: With remote work becoming more widespread, traditional practices for protecting identity have proven inadequate. The time is right for government agencies to explore zero trust. Zero trust assumes that traffic inside the network is as likely to be as malicious as traffic outside the network. To protect your network and data, you need advanced automated tools that adhere to the principles of zero trust. Quest Public Sector has the end-to-end solutions you need to implement zero trust in your agency. Learn more at questpublicsector.com.
8: Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government data travels at the speed of light moving past us in every direction it's easy to feel overwhelmed in the chaos of it all but what if you could take it all in refocus it filter it direct it what would you discover something profound something beautiful something that moves you the right data moves leaders and organizations to bring their vision to life cloudera data that moves you
1: Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about data center and cloud optimization. Just finished the top line. Uh, we're going to do specific examples to various. I'm going to start with you. Give us an, a, a specific example that you'd like to uh, either brag about or just uh, just uh, explain what it is that you did there and uh, the uh, the opportunity you had.
3: Yeah. So we've had uh, we've done a lot within the Corps of Engineers to to really move not just data center, but data and modernization forward. Um, specifically, I think it's key to highlight one of the major areas we put a lot of emphasis on is, uh, is around the operational technology aspects of things. Um, and that's operational technology in conjunction with, with leveraging uh, data centers and, and the optimization aspects. Um, so right now, within the core, our, three of our major lines of effort is hydropower, navigation, and dredging as we, uh, as we support the nation. I mean, and with that being said, there's a lot of operational technology that, that manages those type of things. Um, and when you look at flooding and, and, and flood zones, predictive analysis and those type of things, we have a lot of major mission critical applications that actually support the that support those lines of effort. Um, during last flood season, uh, one of the things we were able to do was successfully migrate some of our major water applications uh, to the cloud, and they are in a cloud native state. Uh, with that being said, we, we limited the ability of having to refactor a lot of those applications Um, But we were able to, in almost a lift and shift concept, be able to port the application over into that cloud environment, using a cloud native state from an application perspective. Um, That was pretty significant within the Corps of Engineers, um, because over the past several flood seasons, we had many challenges with being able to operate our application, getting the most optimization out of it, and being able to support the nation in the way we need it. Um, Because when you think about one of the major applications that is within that product suite, is, is the ability to put blue roofs on top of houses. So when storms happen and, and it blows tarps, when it blows roofs off the house, we come back from a Corps of Engineers perspective and put the blue tarps on top of the houses to be able to protect it from any additional damages uh, being able to occur. So users must have the ability to put in their requests for those type of uh, assistance when, when those natural disasters happen. And we manage the applications that allow us to be able to do that. Uh, within the Corps of Engineers, as I said, we were able to successfully move that into a cloud environment. And over the course of the last flood season, uh, we actually saw a lot of success. Uh, we had more more input for, for cloud, uh, more input for blue t- blue rooftops on, on houses, and, uh, and it was a huge success. And we partnered with, with DHS and FEMA on, on those initiatives. So I think that's a good news story of some of the things that we've done by being able to leverage a cloud environment to help us move the mission forward.
1: Nicholas, how about at Snowflake? Can you give us a specific example of uh, where you all have been able to uh, uh, work with an agency to adopt this technology and really enable the mission?
7: Yeah, I'm happy to, Luke, thanks. Um, my favorite is is Snowflake has sort of gotten itself in the middle of the Medicaid and Medicare business, um, mm. you know, helping agencies that that's a massive spend for tax dollars every year, and, and it's a it's a huge value add to the citizens of this country. Obviously, healthcare is always at the forefront of of, of our uh, citizen handling. So, Snowflake was able to to bring all this uh, technology to bear against a very large problem, which is how do you prevent fraud in healthcare? Um, and prevent is a is a a goal we'll never achieve, right? Perfection is is not going to exist, but we're getting markedly closer to that mark. And I think that's really where um, the data collaboration part of the cloud comes in and and being able to operate at scale efficiently and and in a cost-effective way. All of that data from all of the states flowing up and, and trying to detect if someone is attempting to defraud the government by, you know, trying to get their knee replaced in Florida and California at the same time, probably not likely. So looking for that kind of data and and that kind of uh, correlation between entries at speed and at scale is extremely difficult. But in the cloud, it's cost effective, relatively simple to set up and relatively straightforward. So Snowflake is really excited to be a part of that now. And and we're beginning some work over at NASA as well. Uh, So we're excited to see what kind of data science we can do over there.
1: Beth, let's go over to you. I know you have a plethora of examples. Give us one you'd like to highlight. Of where you've been able to, to really plow through this cloud optimization data center journey.
2: So I do have a number of examples, and a
1: couple of them are pretty
2: cool. Um, I just want to start by saying, I think, you know, this is this is a foundational shift in our capability at DHS, right? So getting, not only getting to the cloud, doing the network modernization that's necessary to support coming out of off-prem data centers, which for an organization the size of DHS, we operate in some pretty remote locations. And that can be fairly challenging when you're shifting where your workloads operate, right? So instead of being in one or two very centralized locations, now we're asking our endpoints, our forward leaning individuals and operators to access data potentially in multiple locations. And and without the network modernization, Uh, supporting these changes, it it just it wouldn't have worked very well. So I want to say that sort of broadly, the the whole of the infrastructure modernization approach, whether it's cloud optimization, um, network modernization, putting in some people in process, organizational structures like our Network Operations Security Center, again, closing gaps and seams so that we can secure these environments, critically important given uh, the state of affairs. Uh, but to a specific example, uh, in migrating out of data center two, uh, from a timing perspective, we were also smack in the middle of some pretty big financial systems modernization activities mm-hmm. at the Department of Homeland Security, which for any large um, any large organization, but particularly in the federal government, financial systems modernization has proven to be a bit challenging. And, and we've had our own share of fits and starts with it. We had a huge success with transitioning uh, the Transportation Security Administration, TSA, large organization over to the FSMS system. Right when I'm trying to close the data center though, we're trying to migrate the US Coast Guard, which is an order of magnitude larger in terms of um, support requirements in the financial system. Um, And also lots of concerns about audits and all the things you're changing when 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 you're migrating to a new financial system. I also asked them to pull it out of the data center and put it up in the cloud. Um, I have to give a huge shout out to our partners in um, the program office at the uh, DHS CFO's office. Also, IBM—they uh, came along on the journey with us uh, to get to get that whole system out of data center two and into a cloud, uh, a cloud instance. Also, re-platform it, um, not cloud native, but certainly in better condition than it was when it was in the brick and mortar data center, um, and given us the opportunity to provision resources as you as you mentioned, Luke. You know. Add capacity um, as needed, and particularly with this Coast Guard migration, that's that was a huge benefit. So um, that to me has been one of one of the highlights. We had a huge success there with migrating it out of data center two in the process of closing that data center, and we didn't, you know, we didn't cause a hiccup to the Coast Guard's transition to the modernized financial system. That's a big deal. And um, again, I, I've I've said repeatedly, this team that I work with you can pretty much throw anything at them and they're gonna be successful because uh, they just don't see an alternative.
1: Rob, how about over at uh, Cloudera, can you give us an example uh, that you'd like to highlight of uh, working with one of these agencies to enable this capability? Yeah,
5: um, I was sitting there thinking, listening to Beth uh, talk, You know, I want to give a shout out to uh, my old partners in, in Navy. Uh, we have worked with NAVAIR, Naval Aviation Community, to really help them uh, render informed decisions with respect to um, their maintenance of several aviation platforms. Um, And and interesting enough, you have to walk the dog back and say, okay, what are we doing with, with whether it's a data center or cloud, we've moved from storing data, right? And let normal transactions engage uh, and we run the business to using this platform to make informed decisions Right. With things like uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. So we've advanced what we can get out of the information technology infrastructure to a fairly well. So so we've helped the, the Navy understand, collect the data that is on several aviation platforms, very sophisticated aviation platforms, align it, enrich it and then run some analytics on it and produce outcomes that actually improve the operational availability of the aircraft and reduce the money they're spending on maintenance. So that is a win, win, win for the Navy based upon the fact that you know you have this data, how do you make use of it, right? So, so think you, you go back to data center optimization or you can go to cloud, but no matter where this data is sitting, you've got to, to understand it, align it, put it in the data lake. And, run analytics on it, and then produce a result on the other side that actually is beneficial to the government. So uh, a big shout out to to NAVAIR for understanding uh, how to do this with us. And then we're watching the results come out and they are literally making money off this. And the platforms are able to stay in the air longer because of their understanding of the data, what's going on inside the aircraft. So,
1: Tom, how about over at GSA? uh, Again, I had mentioned you're really striped across all of these agencies seeing all these various activities. Give us an example you'd like to highlight.
4: Yeah, I I mean, we are at the bird's nest because we get to see this at the macro level. Uh, You know, getting, we we believe a successful cloud optimization program uh, is getting rid of excess compute, reducing the redundancy of systems that uh, are providing the same value, and identifying legacy components. Everybody has legacy components. You need to be able to manage that uh, and have the right tools and in, in, uh, organization that could ferret out these legacy uh, uh, components and be able to uh, come up with a strategy of how you're going to get rid of some of these. These might be pieces of uh, very viable systems. Um, and then right-sizing your data center footprint. Uh, we, we are promoting heavily ap- application rationalization or FinOps for the cloud to do portfolio analysis on your investments uh, and make sure that you go through a rigorous process uh, and getting it into the CIO hands well in advance of any procurements uh, or renewals of systems or applications. We can't have that same mentality we did on-prem of buying gross amounts of storage at the end of the year uh, that that just does not work in the cloud environment. You'll go broke doing that. Um, so, and we also wanna uh, migrate applications where appropriate and leverage edge computing. Uh, edge computing has always been a difficult subject because nobody really knows what that is. But I think we're starting to evolve to understand what it is, especially when uh, applications are getting to the mobile
1: level, uh, mobile devices. Chris, how about over at Quest Software? Can you uh, highlight an example you'd like to give where you've been able to enable an operating component in an agency to further their mission using this technology? Sure. Um, several years ago, um, I believe six to be exact, we started working with one of
6: DOD's entities and they had you know, roughly a million plus users endpoints across the globe. So they had a global infrastructure based on ms Directory services and infrastructure, and they had both on-prem, they had edge, they had cloud, you have data, quite frankly, in all sorts of specialized devices, but all one thing in common, that they leverage that Microsoft infrastructure globally. And just about the same time, remember we had the Mersk attack, quite frankly, where they lost pretty much every domain controller and they had to actually recover it from, I believe a server in Africa that was offline at the time. Um, that was an Apecha attack. And then you also had other incidents that start to impact not just information technology, but as the various pointed out, the operational technology side that controls switches and gears that move things in the real world, the, the kinetic effect. And so we actually had Saudi Aramco with the, I think it was the Shamoon attack, I forget the exact name, but they lost a lot of big piece of their operational technology. And the, I think our DoD customers started looking at, well, wait a minute, we have pretty much a similar infrastructure across the globe. And these things are mission, they, so many missions depend on them how do we create sort of an IT or resilient stance on these types of um, infrastructure? And so we work with them to figure out exactly, okay, how do we now replicate what you have, secure it, encrypt it to the level where it's not just secure in the data center, but regardless of where your perimeter is, as your perimeter extends, whether it's to a mobile device, whether it's to an edge device or to a forward command, that you're able to recover relatively quickly without the mission to, a, to that degree. So I'm, I'm glad to say six years later, we've successfully helped them basically, one, put in those decisions in place. So regardless of where they are in the globe or what type of command, whether it's on a forward-based, a ship, a carrier, a jet, a plane, whatever it may be, they can recover, get access to information and continue the mission without interruption. And the irony is is that we look at the the attacks in the commercial world and say oh well that's because commercial IT they just they dropped the ball. And what they point out to us is that there are porous areas of IT no matter what agency you work what company you're with. IT's very porous and if you don't figure out exactly where those holes are, someone's going to find them to you for them for you and alert you in the worst possible way for instance how impactful those things can be. So I think They learned a valuable lesson in watching a commercial disaster unfold, for instance, and the impact of that and what it would actually mean to missions where life and limb are at stake, quite frankly. So I'm I'm glad we're able to help in that particular scenario. But that's something we do both in a commercial world as well as to our federal customers, for instance. And I love that journey, for instance, of realization of what happens in the commercial world how it impacts us in our federal mission for instance and then learning from each other for instance to deploy that technology across a large DoD entity.
1: Beth, I'm going to come up to you. We're going to talk about priorities. I know there's a lot. I know the the secretaries issued out I think 18, 20 of them I lost count. What what are what are best top 2 3 priorities for this year? You got about 9 months left in the year. What are you focusing on?
2: Well, we just got the budget. So
1: congratulations
2: gonna spend some money. Um, we've, we've laid out some some pretty um, high level priorities for OCIO, um, things around uh, user experience and mm-hmm. um, you know our cybersecurity posture. Obviously everybody is focused on cybersecurity and, and will continue to be. Um, I think you know sort of for me it's enabling uh, speed of mission right? So I, I mentioned earlier how I look at infrastructure, and, and that's really been my game for the last couple of decades. Um, and I look at what we've done to strengthen the infrastructure so that all of these mission-enabling uh, solutions can be delivered, and they can be delivered quickly, right? And they can be delivered efficiently, and they can be delivered effectively, no matter where we're operating our mission in DHS. I think um, many folks are, are aware of, of the uh, the activities down at the southern border and we've had a technology integration activity going on since last february that has yielded some uh, frankly amazing results in terms of being able to um, to add efficiency to the whole life cycle of the immigration process and to do it in a way that is humane and is and is <clears throat> focused on the experience of the folks that we're encountering and using technology to automate that process. That is still a huge priority for us. We received $50 million in technology modernization funds Mm -hmm. uh, to to continue that work. Um, Again though, if we go back to data center optimization, data center consolidation, network modernization, and all of the security controls we've put around that infrastructure, all of that work that we've been doing for 10, 12 years has now enabled us to look at these mission priorities and respond to them uh, with an agility we've never had before. And I think that's the exciting part is we're gonna keep looking at those mission sets across DHS, which look, we've, we've got a variety, right? We're, we're uh, 22, 23 agencies, depending upon how you count with disparate mission sets operating in disparate locations. So everything we do in the technology space has to facilitate the whole, right? We have to take an enterprise approach. So my priorities this year are to continue the great work we've done to shore up the foundation and then continue to enable the speed of mission.
1: Fantastic. Um, We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network.
8: Data travels at the speed of light, moving past us in every direction. It's easy to feel overwhelmed in the chaos of it all. But what if you could take it all in? Refocus it. Filter it. Direct it. What would you discover? Something profound? Something beautiful? Something that moves you? The right data moves leaders and organizations to bring their vision to life. Cloudera. Data that moves you. Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government.
0: With remote work becoming more widespread, traditional practices for protecting identity have proven inadequate. The time is right for government agencies to explore zero trust. Zero trust assumes that traffic inside the network is as likely to be as malicious as traffic outside the network. To protect your network and data, you need advanced automated tools that adhere to the principles of zero trust. Quest Public Sector has the end-to-end solutions you need to implement zero trust in your agency. Learn more at questpublicsector.com.
1: Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about cloud optimization and data center strategies. Beth just highlighted some awesome priorities. We're going to go to you, Nick, and uh, talk about, give us your top priority at Snowflake.
7: Ah, Thanks, Luke. We, we've probably got dozens, but my biggest one by far, uh, and I think I've said it on your program before, is building out the data cloud for government. Um, Snowflake has has made its name being a a great data platform for machine learning, artificial intelligence, all of the things you would expect that the cloud brings in value. But our largest value, I think by far, is the ability to collaborate on data. I'll go back uh, really quickly. Uh, We were talking about Navy data from Rob. If if you've got Naval data on F-35 platforms and, and how it's been flown and how it's been maintained, giving that same information to the Air Force or collaborating with the US Air Force on that or the Marine Corps, enables every service branch to take their maintenance of the F-35 and learn lessons from each other in ways that we could never do before. And the cloud enables that specifically, and Snowflake does that very, very well. It's Our data marketplace, private exchanges, and direct sharing make it as easy as going onto to the App Store and grabbing Angry Birds, only it's a lot more relevant to our, our federal work. Right. So that's really my goal is to take the data cloud out there and get folks collaborating. Like DHS is setting the example today with some of their mission partners. Uh, We hope to keep expanding that over time.
1: To various top priority at US Army Corps of Engineers.
3: Yeah, so our our top priority is really digital transformation. Uh, Mm -hmm. Digital transformation to support more so modernization as well as readiness uh, within the Army, um, being that the Army Corps of Engineers is a support organization. And uh, when you look at digital transformation, we break digital transformation into several areas. Uh, we look at it in, in the form of OT, operational technology. Uh, we also look at it in the form of mobility uh, because the majority of the Corps of engineer users, about 70% of them do not work inside of an office space. They're at more of a construction site. They're at a levee, lock, dam, waterways, uh, more of the natural aspects of things to inclu- include disaster relief. Um, and then we begin to look at certain things such as such as 5G connectivity um, as well as some of the cybersecurity concepts and practices that are out there as well. So, so digital transformation in totality um, is really what we're beginning to, uh, to put a heavy emphasis on, but not just the remainder of this fiscal year, but also as we look to, to forward lean into the, into the next fiscal year. Chris, how about at Quest? What do you have the team focused on this year? The number one mantra, quite frankly, after the last
6: couple of years, unexpectedly, um, is more security. Um, you cannot have enough. I talked earlier about you know IT networks being very porous. So our focus has been, quite frankly, is one, acquiring assets that really strengthen our portfolio around zero trust. If you look at the zero trust architecture, quite frankly, there is no one silver bullet. Everyone keeps asking me, it's like, where's your zero trust skew? Does not exist. Um, there is a lot of thought that has to go behind exactly how you deploy that architecture. So when you think about protecting everything from end users, the nodes they use, the day to day access, for instance, you know, that entire perimeter has extended beyond that walled garden we used to love called the mainframe, really dating myself. Um, but as we move further out, quite frankly, um, for instance, I, I considered doing this broadcast podcast, quite frankly, on my mobile phone as I walked around the lake this morning. but I figured the birds would be very distracting, quite frankly. Um, but zero trust simply means that we were able to protect not just endpoints, knows the data, quite frankly, but regardless of what device they're actually using where they are. So our assets, quite frankly, in our portfolio is focused around giving our customers the ability to one, yes, manage that existing sort of security apparatus, whether it's directory based, for instance, file based, but also now how do we now protect the keys to the kingdom? So as we learned in the Kaseya attack, if you lose control of a domain admin account or a remote um, administrative account, for instance, things get very bad very quickly. Um, so providing privileged access management and not just access management, then also, how do you now also understand what they're doing in that session with those access credentials? So we have access that focus around that. And then also, how do you do the event management and correlation so you can alert a CISO exactly what's going on with a particular end user? I think to trust your environment, I think zero trust is part of the wording or the naming nomenclature it confuses folk. It doesn't mean we don't trust anybody. It just means we trust you to do a specific thing for a specific period of time and then the party is over. So a lot of our solutions now enable our customers to do just that, for instance, focus on delivering zero trust, delivering the right access at the right time to the right individual, for instance, and then be able to provide governance around everything we're doing around security. So as that perimeter moves, we can actually respond to and deliver security for a mission regardless of the agency and regardless of the size or scale where they are in the world.
1: Thomas. How about a GSA, um, you're, uh, again, you're sort of sitting across the top there, a lot of different activities. What are you gonna be measuring? What's the focus at GSA to push the ball forward for the entire interagency? Thanks, Luke. You know, on April 6th and 7th, we're gonna be holding a data center
4: sustainability summit, uh, Office of Governmentwide Policy. is. Uh, this is going to be in support of the president's management agenda on sustainability. Uh, And the summit will explore the environment and modernization benefits of transitioning from government-owned data centers to commercially-owned data centers, cloud computing, or even software as a service. All of them have uh, benefits there. Uh, One of the summit, the feature role of the summit is to have two round tables, one from former government leaders and industry on the future of DCOI metrics. I think it would be really uh, insightful on how the federal government should be measuring data centers going forward beyond uh, 2022. Uh, I'm proud and happy to announce that we joined forces with Information Technology Industry Council, uh, it is co-hosting the event, along with the CIO Council's Innovation and EOPS committees, uh, our sponsors as well. And there's going to be a lot of government speakers in the industry, the big CSPs, large data center providers, technology companies will all be there. And it'll kick off a host of events that GSA is doing around Earth Day, uh, April twenty second. Uh, everyone's invited to attend. Uh, please, uh, please join me on April sixth and seventh. Rob, top priority
1: at Cloudera.
5: Um, so thanks, Luke. So our top priority is really to to help the agencies. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, copy Beth a little bit here, but I already wrote my notes down, Beth. So that's the way it is. Uh, we're really trying to help the agencies use data to accelerate their mission, right? That, that's, the, that's the number one thing. We're, we're not helping government agencies operate better, more efficiently, more effectively than, than we're not doing our job right, right? So at the end of the day, you know, moving from data strategy to an operational outcome, right, is really important. It could intersect the cloud, it could intersect the data center, it could intersect. I love it—the the, the tech closet, right? But, mm-hmm. but at the same time. The outcome's the most important thing to keep our eye on. Uh, the, the second thing that I'm interested in doing this year, I got to focus on is enhancing cybersecurity effectiveness. Cyber is a big data problem. It just is. So I've watched this for now almost 20 years and, and materially we haven't done anything different, right? We've done the same thing we've done for 20 years and, and it's not going as well as we'd like. Uh, I have not seen an agency yet bragging about how they defeated something right before it happened. Um, so, so how do we change what we're doing in such a way that enables them to quietly brag about, "Hey, it's working better. This is working better." So, the integration of you know big data platforms into the cybersecurity stack, I think, is something that uh, the government needs to keep an eye out for because what the edge is producing, and we're into continuous monitoring now, but what the edge is producing has the keys to the kingdom in it about what's happening. If we can sift through that quicker, better, faster, we're going to be in a much more secure place, enabling mission to move forward.
1: Nicholas, we're going to start with you and talk about uh, the future. If we fast forward a couple years, what's it going to look like? What's the focus uh, at Snowflake now in regards to hitting that target two years from now?
7: Um, well, I'll be, I'll be super ambitious, Luke, because uh, since I'm going first, I'll be the optimist. I think uh, it, we're going to see a lot more cloud migrations happen. Obviously, we're going to see a lot more data centers shut down. But I also think we're going to see not just efficiency gains. Efficiency gains are, are fantastic. We love seeing that. But effectiveness gains uh, are really where we want to get to, right? We want to see the data that the government has put to good use in a transparent way to make our lives better as citizens. And I think what Snowflake is doing, technologies like Quest Software, uh, our our friends over at Cloudera, all of us are singularly focused on this one thing, right? Safe efficiency based on data-driven decision-making and the cloud is what enables us to do that uh, to a very large degree. So we're gonna keep on pushing forward in that vein and uh,
1: look forward to the future there. Thank you very much. Chris, how about at Quest? What's it look like in a couple of years?
6: as we get past the idea that we're going to be using someone else's computer, as we said earlier, quite frankly, or as I call it, a, an x86 in another zip code, we're going to get more and more efficient about how we now leverage the data that's going to be striped across all those different zones as I think about it. Um, it, it used to be that as you know, Snowflake discovered that, you know what, people want data and they wanted access to it very fast in the cloud, same thing with air. Um, I also work with a lot of other database partners, for instance, um, Microsoft, Oracle, and others um, at, at Quest, quite frankly, with a Swiss army knife when it comes to data management. But what we're hearing more and more from our, our um, customers is that data management, and that's why you see the creation of the federal data strategy. You see CDOs now in most agencies, quite frankly. It's one, how do we now not just figure out where that data is Understand how to tag it, quite frankly. So we understand exactly where the critical data is. You know, if there is a loss, for instance, can we identify exactly what was leaked, for instance, in the data exfiltration model? But also now, how do we create a better citizen experience or in user experience, customer experience based on what we've learned about that data? And so we're investing more and more in tools that help our customers, not just identify that data, then leverage that data and feed other data and operational pipelines so they actually leverage that data to make more effective decisions, not just in government, for instance, but also across all the agencies that support our, our, our citizens, quite frankly, and enable them to basically do a much better job of utilizing that data for the public good. So we talked about, you know, Deveris talked about the the TARPs, quite frankly, in a flood situation, disaster zone. All all that is data driven, for instance. And I think we take for granted how data moves across both hybrid infrastructure from those endpoints to edge computers up to the cloud, for instance, it's churned and it's sent back to a device where someone actually makes a decision. So we're investing more and more in technologies that help us understand that data and how to make it available in the most ready format, for instance, for the right user at the right time.
1: Rob, uh, you guys, You are, you're in the private sector, you're in the public sector, Uh, what's the demand signal out there? What what are you cooking up that we're going to see in a couple of years? So
5: so the government today is in a hybrid multi-cloud environment, right? We Mm -hmm. have various flavors of almost everything. So to command and control data across that hybrid multi-cloud is where Cloudera is headed. Uh, So I actually think that the government will remain there in the next couple of years. It might change flavors here and there, but we'll be in a hybrid multi-cloud environment for the foreseeable future. The second thing is that uh, I think, and I'm pressing hard to get AI and ML more commoditized. Right Today, you must be a data scientist. You're a pretty sharp and and rare individual to be able to now use those high-end tools to help render those decisions, right? But to make those tools available for more people then unlocks data and then unlocks mission, right? And, and accelerates the, the agency's ability to deliver, whether it's citizen services or it's for for DOD, for Army, what have you.
1: Tom, um, when I'm thinking about GSA, I'm thinking about the the various spectrums across this, uh, this optimization initiative. What do you expect to see in a couple of years when you're out there sort of measuring the results, measuring the outcomes, what are you looking forward to seeing?
4: Well, um, I think going forward, we're gonna to continue to optimize data centers and and bring in other policies such as sustainability into that fold. But, you know, really IT is nothing but an ecosystem of, of uh, both IT and policies. Uh, and I think we're gonna continue, GSA is kind of, meld those policies and, and administrative priorities, such as cyber, climate, zero trust, and IPv6 into the fold. Uh, IT modernization is really nothing but interconnected web of priorities. Uh, and we want to keep those conversations going, lessons learned. We, we have a community of practice we want to share. Uh, we have 4,000 members of the federal workforce uh, as members. And month to month, we have various topics. We share those success stories. Uh, If the vendors or agencies want to share something, you know, have an agency come forward with to me, and I'd love to share it with the community of practice. Uh, I mean, that's where uh, really
1: agencies get a firsthand chance of learning about uh, what's going on in other agencies. The various. All right. Two years from now, you're on your digital transformation journey. You got all your tech closets squared away. What do we expect to see in a couple of years? If I'm a new employee coming into U.S. Army, uh, Corps, of, Army Corps of Engineers, what's it look like?
3: Yeah, um, several years from now, we've really transformed how we do business, and we're actually starting this journey now. So when you think about it, when you think about a new employee, the first thing you think about is your your onboarding experience, mm-hmm. uh, because at the end of the day, the onboarding experience is the first impression. The first impressions are always lasting impressions. And as a new employee, whether you're a new employee straight out of college or whether you're a seasoned professional, that this is not your first go around. If you're onboarded horribly, the first thing you're going to say is, man, this must be how this organization is going to operate. Um, so one of the things that we're beginning to do within the core of Engineers, we're transforming and modernizing how you onboard as an employee. Uh, with that being said, we, we are evolving our ready ship concept, uh, meaning that a end user receives their device full, has all the full software on it. It has all their files on it that they need if it is, if it is a if it is a replacement. Um, and, and you're already able to connect to the network with your standard cybersecurity software and everything already on it. Um, what this does is this really allows us to reduce the, the storage warehouse concept that we might have. It also allows our users to be able to get on the network and start doing business the very first day they come on board as soon as they can show you the certifications. Sometimes within government, it takes you a significant amount of time just to be issued a computer so you can start doing your job. Our goal as we've been piloting now within the Corps of Engineers, we're transforming how you receive your devices, as well as the time that it takes for a user to access uh, that network. Within less than 24 hours, you actually have your device provisioned and ready to go. That device is sent from the service provider and it is in the hands of the end user versus it taking you three weeks just to get a device. So this is one of the ways we're beginning to look at the end user aspects of things. Um, I think when you look at cloud, if we tie back to, to this discussion as well in the next two or three years, I think we'll be having a conversation from a government perspective on how we procure cloud services. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, as you know, we go through, it's about three hops. You have the, the government, you put in your request, it goes to a reseller, then from the reseller it goes to what I call the big boys. Um, however, having a direct pass through straight to the big boys optimizes and modernizes how we begin to do business. Um, it, it assists as well as I believe it enhances with auditability. It enhanced with accountability as well. And then it also begins to allow us to transform our our business as to how we enable and control that destiny. So I think the procurement aspect as to how we receive cloud services will begin to quickly change because the concept of providing that from an end user as well as from a business perspective and a government perspective will begin to change, making it a lot more formable for for a lot of government entities that are looking at leveraging cloud without having to go through various hops. So, So a lot I think is going on in that space. We're really looking at the end user for, for modernization and transformation uh, going forward with the core of engineers. Thank you.
1: Beth, uh, you've moved mountains over there, right? You've slayed the data center migration, the cloud migration, the financial systems, the network. Two years from now, what, what would you like to see uh, as uh, as one looks around in that environment? What, what, what's the expectation at this point?
2: It's a- Great question, considering um, two years from now, I I, uh, likely will have moved on from federal service. So I want to look back and say, the situation, the environment I left behind um, is the foundation is strong, and that's the infrastructure piece. And we'll continue with network modernization, application rationalization, so that we do get to cloud native. Much of the work that I was directly involved in um, a lot of it was lift and shift or, or some basic replatforming, but mm-hmm. but not necessarily cloud native. So so we'll head in that direction and we'll begin to improve. There are agencies within DHS that have done just phenomenal work in cloud native development, and we want to again, share those best practices and continue that work. Um, but but you know, it's people, processes and technology. So we've got the foundation with the infrastructure. We've got the processes and the organizational structure with things like our network operations security center our cybersecurity uh, assessment programs, and our, and our unified cybersecurity maturation model. Um, but I think most importantly is the people part of this. And so two years from now, what I would like to see is a DHSIT workforce that reflects the community that we serve, which is the American public. And, and by reflects that, I mean things like demographics. We have a A tremendous uh, DEI initiative going on in the DHS IT community right now, and I'm particularly proud of the efforts that we're putting into our cybersecurity internship program. Right, so that we can we can get at underserved communities and bring in real talent, broaden our pool, um, because we all know that we compete for resources. All of us here on this phone right on this um, on the show right now, we compete against each other for that cyber talent, for that data analytics talent, for for all of these resources. So one of my primary goals before I leave out of DHS is to make sure that we have broadened our applicant pool to the greatest extent possible and and have really shown folks that DHS is a great place to work and you should come join us. Um, So infrastructure, the the people and the processes, These are things that are really critical to me um, in the twilight of my career here in federal service. And um, I certainly intend that when I leave, uh, our population will reflect the population that we serve.
1: Fantastic, and what a a great way to uh, close out a storied career. Um, Well, we could talk all day, but we don't have all day, but I would like to thank today's guests for taking the time out of their busy schedules to join us on this program. I'd like to thank the sponsors for supporting this show. And I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience that are tuning in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network.
0: Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.